This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women, comes out this January, and I want you to be the first to know all the details. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Worth Your Time Podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and today I'm talking to Melissa Zaldivar. She is the author of a new book, What Cannot Be Lost?, How Jesus Holds Us Together When Life is Falling Apart. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Sure thing. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, I I think, I don't know that I've ever met anyone else that lives in Massachusetts. So tell us a little bit uh, about how, it it is Massachusetts, right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I was like, did I just say the wrong one? So tell us a little bit about um, your life in Massachusetts, why you live there, what, what life looks like for you. Yeah. So I actually grew up in California originally um, and then made my way out here for seminary and just fell in love with the area. So Massachusetts is one of six states that make up New England, which is a region of the United States, just like the South, the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest, and then you have New England. Um, And so I moved out here for grad school, moved away, and then was like, what am I doing? It's so beautiful there and we have seasons and it's really lovely. So right now the trees are starting to change, which is wonderful. Um, And so I spend my time for my nine to five. I work in publishing, but then I'm also a writer, which is part of what we're talking about today. And so it's really fun to be able to write in a place that is very historic. A lot of famous literary people have lived around here. And then I work on the weekends as a docent or a tour guide at Orchard House where Louisa May Alcott wrote Little Women. So it's about as dreamy as you think. That is so cool. Um, I've never been up to that part of the country. It is definitely on my list of places to go. Um, One of these days I want to get there just because, you know, that's just, you know, one of those very just notable parts of the country that like you can't experience unless you're there. So um, Mm -hmm. I want to do that. Um, I love that you are living where Louisa May Alcott lived and that you do that on the weekends. That's such a cool, like, I'm sure you don't need to do that, but you know, you probably just enjoy uh, giving people those tours. Mm-hmm. Um, were you always a fan of little women before moving there? I mean, I think I was generally the way a lot of people are. They love the 1994 movie with Winona Ryder and, um, you know, it's very nostalgic and things like that. And originally I was hoping to be a photographer for them and just take pictures of the house for their social media and stuff. And the director very graciously was like, hey, like, that's a great idea. Also, you seem interested in Orchard House, want to become a tour guide. And then I just sort of fell in love with it from there. And so it was not really what I was looking for, but at the same time, um, Orchard House showed up in a season when I needed some normalcy. I was in between jobs and just needed some rhythm. And so it was kind of perfect. And so once I started working full time, 
um, elsewhere, I was like, well, I have to continue doing this. So it's been part of the, a lot of this sort of regulating rhythm of my life has been um, largely oriented around the house for the last few years. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's such a, it's a happy thing. People want to be there. They want to learn. You get to tell them things they've never heard before. I, mm-hmm. I can imagine you meet some really cool people there. Um, in terms of being a writer, how, like, have you always been a writer or when did that start to become a thing that you wanted to do in a more professional way? Yeah. Um, I would say, yes. I, ever since I was a kid, I was writing stories and I had teachers telling me in elementary school, oh, you should be a writer. And, um, you know, I knew that that was sort of part of what I was supposed to do. I wasn't sure if that's what I was going to do professionally. Um, I didn't imagine that I would write books or things like that, but I, I did have these projects in my mind growing up that were just sort of a given. So like I wrote my first book, so to speak, uh, when I was, I want to say about 16 and it is terrible. Like I have a copy somewhere. (laughs) It's just like, it's just bad writing, right? Like I'm young and I'm a dummy, but like, um, I just had this idea of like, I'm just going to write a book. I didn't necessarily want to publish it. I just wanted to write a book. I liked the idea of it. And then uh, I didn't really do anything with it for, I don't know, 10 years. And it's still in my closet somewhere. I don't think it'll ever turn into anything. Um, but yeah, I think being a writer is something that over the years I've had to get used to, even though someone that has known me my whole life would be like, well, obviously you're a writer. Because um, it is pretty ingrained in the way that I see the world. But I think I've learned how to have the discipline of writing be part of my life in the last few years. And so now being an author feels a little bit crazy at times just because I'm like, oh, this is like what I get to do now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And we were saying before we started recording that you also work for a book publisher, uh, Moody. So that is really like living the dream for a, a person that loves words. I can only imagine. Yes. Now, um, you know, when you had another book that came out a couple of years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2019. Um, how did that come to be? Was that like a dream come true for you to be able to to publish and like even traditionally publish a book? Yeah, I mean, I honestly wasn't really looking for it. I feel like it just sort of happened. Um, I started writing some freelance and was approached by uh, what we call an acquisitions editor in the business, which is someone who acquires authors. Um, and so there are all sorts of things. There are all sorts of people that make a book happen in traditional publishing. So you have editors, you have designers, you have marketers, publicists, salespeople, all these different people. And the first person you meet is the acquiring editor. And so a woman reached out to me and said, hey, have you ever thought about a book? And at that point, I hadn't. Um, but I was like, oh, I got this one idea that's been kicking around for a little while. And someone was like, oh, you need an agent. Um, you're going to get swindled if you don't have an agent. So <laughs> then I kind of was like, OK, I guess I need an agent. And so I just sort of stumbled into it in a lot of ways. Um, but then looking back, I see the ways that like the Lord in his kindness knew that there would be certain relationships that I would have that would kind of feed into that. And so, for example, um, my literary agent, his name is Austin, and uh, he's with Wolgamuth and Associates, and Austin's wife cut my hair in college. And so, um, when I was looking for a literary agent, his name popped into my head. And then I was like, oh, I think my friend's husband is, you know, is is an agent. And I reached out to him, and then he ended up being my agent. So, it's just funny how like the Lord kind of put everything together for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden it was just like, oh, I guess we're doing this now and trying to learn how to walk out with obedience. The exciting things the Lord has for us, sometimes it's the hard things the Lord has for us. And it has not been a particularly smooth road to publishing or being a published author. But at least with the first book, um, 
I saw a, a lot of really wonderful connections. And the second one was a little rockier, but that feels like also the kind of content of the book as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. Um, you uh, no doubt didn't anticipate writing this book um, because it is really surrounding the death of one of your best friends. Um, so tell us a little bit about the backstory there and how you knew that this was the book to write, because I can't imagine it was easy to do. No, I feel like, honestly, it was a lot. Um, and it has been a lot. And every new wave of grief is like, oh, geez, like this is this is intense. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't anticipate. I thought I might write a book on another topic. Um, I had this idea after my first book. So my first book and I, I want to do this for the people that kind of romanticize the writing world. Um, I'll I'll bring you to reality real quick. So my <laughs> first book didn't sell super well at all. It wasn't a bestseller. Um, and because of that, I kind of walked away with like, oh, okay, I guess writing a book isn't quite as exciting as I thought. Like, there's not all this fanfare and amazing opportunities. I didn't land a single interview to promote it. Um, and it was just like, not a thing in terms of like what you imagine for a book. And so because of that, you know, um, when it came time to write a second book, I remember I, my agent, you know, do you have ideas, whatever? And I was like, yeah, I have some ideas. And so we pitched a few here and there to publishers and a hundred percent of publishers said, no, like, <laughs> like, how did your first book sales go? You know, and you're like, oh, not good. And I remember my author or my agent saying to me, he was like, this is the sort of thing that can be what we call like, like it makes you unpublishable. That's a term that they use oh. in the publishing world when it's like, when you know, it's almost better if I had never written a book than if I'd written a book that didn't do well. Melissa, because, I, I am so tracking with you right now because this is exactly what happened to me. <laughs> so. Yeah, and it's it's humbling, <laughs> but it's like scary because it's like, is this the end of my writing career? Like, that's it? Um, I don't know what to do. And it was like, do I? And so I'm kind of looking at all these things. And um, the reality is with traditional publishing, it's very competitive. And so I had this moment where I was like, okay, so maybe I just disappear for a few years and like hang out on Instagram and then show up with another thing and people will have forgotten. Like, I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. And so I was feeling so just like discouraged and unsure. And I ended up having a conversation with a publishing company. Um, and they were like, do you have any ideas? And we just kind of had a brainstorm session, which was really gracious of them to do because there was no reason they should have done it. Um, and I said, yeah, I got this one idea for a book about singleness. This one about a book about friendship. And then I was like, and then I have this one, I don't really know what it is. The last few years have been really hard. I kind of want to write about like loss, but I also like work at Orchard House. So I'd like to kind of weave in little women, but I feel like that's kind of niche. And they were like, that's it. Like that should hmm. be a book. And so that publisher didn't even end up publishing my book. Um, because that's how bad it was. But like I remember getting on the phone with my editor, my acquisitions editor that I work with now, um, Brian. And uh the team at Good Book has been amazing. But the first question he asked me when we talked about this book was, hey, um, like what's it like to be in Orchard House? And mm. immediately I knew like they understood the vision. And so Good Book has been amazing and like has just been so hands on. But it has been one of those things of like, it is not necessarily what you always expect. And they're a fairly small publishing house. I think they would themselves would say that. Um, but they also just have been so caring and so kind. And so for me, I'm like, Rat, like my first pub, my first book was a big five publisher. It was like the dream of traditional publishing, but it kind of felt like it it fell flat a little bit. And now I'm in this new situation. And I remember telling someone, 
the reason that I signed for them was because they understood the vision. And I was like, they are not as big as some of these other top five, you know, publishers. And I'm like, but they understand the vision and they do such a good job that I was like, the only reason I would say no to them is out of like some sort of vanity or selfish ambition to say, no, like I only want to sign with these giant publishers. And also, frankly, the giant publishers were not interested in me. (laughs) Um, But I feel like the Lord just was so kind to kind of, in a good way, say, Melissa, like, if you want this message to get out there, then it doesn't matter who you're publishing with. It doesn't matter if it's a big name or not a big name. Like, what matters is that you're working with a team of people that get the vision of the book. And so, you know, at first, you know, when people would hear about my publishing, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's so dreamy. Like, you signed this major contract, whatever. And this one, I'm able to say, you know what? I signed a contract with people Mm -hmm. that get it. And I am so thankful for that, because whether I sell 10 copies or 10,000 copies, like I know that it was the right fit. And so I didn't expect to write this book, like you mentioned, like um, it's about a lot of hard things. But I also feel that the entire process has been so different. So that was kind of a random rant. But like, truly, if you have people listening to this that are saying, I'm only a legitimate writer, if you know, I get this big deal or whatever, I can tell you, as someone who got a big deal and then now has um, a smaller publishing company that, oh my goodness, like the Lord will put in front of you what needs to be in front of you. And it's just incredible to see um, how much numbers and followers and all of those things are not the main focus, you know, like mm-hmm. writers uh, write and we yeah. get to write and it doesn't matter what it looks like. It could be self-published, but like the goal is um, to get the word out there and to share a story that points to Jesus. And it's okay if it doesn't look like every other best-selling book. Yeah. Okay. I just feel like we have a lot going on in common here because I told you, I don't know if you like were, looked at my website or anything, but so I have exact same situation happened to me, um, was a big five publisher, got a huge deal. It was like, like totally crazy. Like I was just, I couldn't even like comprehend what was happening. Cause I never thought I would get a book deal, you know? Yeah. And, um, I just, the whole, I did, you know, don't not a bestseller by any means. And my agent had told me basically like what you said, like, this is kind of like almost worse, like, because now, you, now it's, now you've shown that you can't sell books, you know? And so I kind of thought, well, there's no, there's no way I'm going to get another, I'm not even going to try. Like I kind of just let it go. I mean, I was still going to write, like I had a book in mind and I was still going to write. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to self-publish. Like, I don't even want to like embarrass myself by trying, you know, this whole thing. Mm. And long story short, I ended up the audience and everything was so different for this second one that I wrote, um, that I ended up getting a book deal, same thing, small publisher. Um, uh, my publisher is nav press. Um, mm-hmm. and so, and I've enjoyed the experience so much more. Like yeah. the team is smaller. I feel like they care more. I feel like they know more. Um, like yeah. the, the first book, like just to give you some context, my first book came out at like the same time as, um, and with the same people that published girl wash your face. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. So, I mean, I am definitely not, um, endorsing that book, but I'm just saying that like, that was like the book of the year, you know, it oh, went yeah. insane. And so it was yeah. like, Here's you're like this. with the big dogs and I'm like, like, who are you? And so nobody cared, but anyway, point is totally get it totally with you. And God definitely like ordained this second situation as well. So, um, go ahead. Were you going to say something? 
No, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. It's it's one of those things where, you know, I think we have this idea that if Jesus loves us, right, because we like to attach everything to the affection of God, like, if he really cares, like, then he's going to give me all the desires of my heart and everything's going to be amazing. And it's just going to keep getting better. And I think there's a lot of truth to the idea, like in Christian culture of like, like Jesus has defeated the grave, like there's victory, like, and there is excitement behind that. But also, like Jesus washed the disciples' feet and Jesus was humble. And I think that we have this idea, it's always this upward trajectory. And so I so love like that in my story and your story, it's saying, Lord, what is it that you have? And sometimes it's saying, wait, 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 like I thought it's just supposed to get like bigger and better and it doesn't feel that way. And yet we see like, but that is the better way. Mm -hmm. um, that is what he has and that is good for that project. And so um, it's just such a such an exhale in the world of what Karen Swallow Pryor calls the like Christian publishing industrial complex. Yeah. Um, like to step outside of that and to say, no, 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 like my identity will not be wrapped up in this. My identity is not wrapped up in my first book advance being I don't know, like 10 times lower than my first one. Like, like, you know, like that, that moment of like, oh gosh, like this almost physically hurts. But at the same time, it's like, but this is what it needs to be. Um, and the Lord doesn't give us gifts so that we can just show off like our gifts. Like he gives us gifts so that we can use them to honor the kingdom. And if there's someone listening to this who feels I'm not legit for whatever reason, it's like, oh sister, like, let me tell you, like, I do not regret for a moment that I went smaller round two. And I'm so thankful um, for it because the Lord has shown his bigness in the small things in my life. Well, yeah. And one thing that I always think is, man, there are like the the most faithful, like beautiful believers are living their lives out in, you know, small towns across the country. I'm not going to meet them till heaven. Like, we're not going to know their names because these these people like, I mean, there are people that God has called, you know, to be out there, to be out there, but, but so many people are not called to that. And so many people are just living faithful, like quiet lives, wherever they are, you know, like the best people in the whole world that we're never going to meet. And, and so I like to remember that too, because it can get, you know, the minute that you start to get a little bit of notoriety, you start to have some followers, whatever you can get a little bit wrapped up into it. it it's hard not to, mm -hmm. um, but like you said, like that's, certainly not what matters. And you got to keep your eye on like, what is the message God has given me? Like, who are the people I'm here to serve? And, um, and, and just not kind of worry about all that extra stuff. And then the book, you know, the book sales, that's, that's scary. Is your book actually out yet? Or is it still coming? It is coming, um, in theory, October 15th. Okay. Uh, we don't know quite yet. We're recording this for the listener like in September, but we don't know yet because there's apparently a boat that's taking longer than it needs to take. Um, and so therefore we think it's coming out October 15th, oh, but man, that's it's hard. just, we're at the mercy of the boat captain. Same, same here. <laughs> I'm supposed to be January, but originally it was slated for August. So oh yeah. It's yeah. been pushed back twice. I'm like, please don't push it back anymore. This has been the longest process of all time. <laughs> yes. Oh, I feel that, sister. Well, um, you know, there is that there's a little bit of anxiousness I know leading up to book launch because you're just like, is this what's gonna happen? You know, but I'm trying not to do that either. I'm trying to just be like, what's gonna happen is gonna happen. I'll do the best I can and 
Yeah. I already know that I didn't choose this message. God chose this message, you know, for me to deliver. So, so on that note, let's talk a little bit about your message um, Mm -hmm. and talk about your friend, Jill, and just tell us a little bit about the story. Yeah. So there are sort of three stories that are woven throughout this book. Like one is my story of just losing uh, my job and my sense of identity and my sort of security as a single person and kind of coming to a reckoning with that. Um, The second story is the story of Louisa May Alcott and her loss of her sister, Beth, very famously in Little Women, um, which is a real it's based on her real life. So she really did have a sister named Beth that she lost in an almost in an identical fashion to Beth in the book. Um, And then this third storyline is the storyline of my friendship uh, with a gal named Jill, who is now with Jesus and about our friendship uh, starting in college and then weaving through our 20s. And then um, she passed away in 2019. And so it's what it means to also walk through grief and loss with a friend uh, having kind of I wouldn't say a front row seat because we were on the phone a lot and she lived on the other side of the country, but having that kind of really close view into final uh, months and watching her be so faithful to Jesus and fight so hard, um, but also watching her uh, fade away, right? And and things like that. And so, you know, no, I, I think that cancer is the worst. I think that I wish that, you know, it didn't exist. Um, and especially in her case, I mean, she didn't live past 28, which is so young. And so, I mean, death at any age is a tragedy, but I think especially with her being so young, it felt like um, some real insult to injury there. And so uh, it is sacred. I There's this quote that I talk about in the book, which is a Louisa May Alcott. She writes in her journal when she's when her sister Beth was sick. And she says, you know, I'll I'll be better all my life for these sad hours with you. And I feel that way. Mm. Like, I'll be better all my life for sad hours with Jill. Um, and and now she's doing great. Um, she's with the Lord. But getting there has has definitely been a doozy to process through. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously death is one of those things where it's the moments where people sometimes are not not doubting God's existence, but like doubting the love of God, maybe. Oh yeah. Doubting prayer. Like I I know that's one thing I struggle with is like, you know, situations in which I've prayed like, like from the bottom of my heart, believing in in everything that it was going to work out and it didn't. And so what, what do you say, or how do you speak to um, the person that's standing in that position now where they're like, but you know, I prayed God and like, were you not listening? And you know, I don't feel loved right now. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I think of, first of all, is this is terrible and I'm sorry. Right. Like, I think when we're in that area of our faith, it's just it's so dark. And so I could give you like some encouragement right now, which you may or may not just like throw out the window. You might stop listening to this podcast. So first of all, I want to say let's meet there. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. And this is awful. And this may or may not be encouraging. Um, I think that I had this understanding that Jesus, um, that, yeah, like you said, it's, it's not that he doesn't exist. It's that I don't think he's for me. I don't think that he sees me. I don't think he loves me. And while some people will be like, well, it's a really self-centered view. Sorry. That's all of our view. Like we only have our perspective. So (laughs) like, I don't know how to help you with that, but you know, it is this idea of if you're in a relationship with someone and it feels like they're neglecting you then yeah, there's going to be some tension there. And if there's not, part of me is like, are you for real? Like we look in the Psalms and over 
over and over, right? Like Jesus quotes uh, David when he's on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's this deep sense of forsakenness, of abandonment, of betrayal. And whether or not that that's actually what it is, that's what it feels like. And we can only control like how it feels, right? And so um, I would say, you know, first of all, I would recommend listening to Beth Bernard's album, All My Questions. Mm. It is one of the greatest uh, lament albums I've ever heard in my life. And she talks about this idea that like having to reconcile that God doesn't just fast forward me through this and that we're stuck in this. And there's this one song called Who Else? And she says, you know, who else am I supposed to be angry at? Like, you're the one who calls the shots, but who else do I run to? Because you're the one who calls the shots. Like, Mm -hmm. it's this juxtaposition. And so I think we have to acknowledge that our relationship with God is incredibly complicated. It is not as simple as, okay, like we're cool. We're good now. Um, that's just not how it is. I think of like a married couple because it talks about our relationship of Christ and the church is, is similar to marriage, you know? And so that's the example I'll use, even though I'm single. If someone gets in a disagreement with their spouse, it's not like just because you work it out, all of a sudden everything is rainbows and butterflies. Like you, you're committed to this person, but you're not happy with them in that moment. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a complicated emotion of, I love you, but right now I feel like I don't like you or you don't like me or whatever that is. Um, And while two people are, are fallen and Jesus is, is perfect, it still is that feeling of, it doesn't just go away overnight because that's not how relationships work. And so I would say, you know, like hand it to him. Like he already knows. He already knows that you're mad. He already knows that you're disappointed, that you're sad, that you're hurt. So like pour it out to him, but also allow him to be a comforter. You know, he is a comforter. So like welcoming him in to say, Lord, I need your comfort. Um, The way that the Lord spoke to me, which this is going to sound really weird, but this is just like what what actually happened um, is during that season of intense loneliness and grief. And Jill died right before the pandemic. So now Mm. I'm also like alone with all my feelings in my apartment Mm. as a single lady and uh, for a long time at the beginning. And I remember one day looking up and there was this little stink bug, um, which we have here in New England, these little fat stink bugs. And, um, and I had this thought of like, you know, the Lord is always present, like a stink bug, like, ha, ha, ha. Like, they're just, there's always a stink bug somewhere nearby. And I remember one day being so mad. And this was like after I'd had that little revelation. And... um and praying and just being like, God, like, I just need to know that you're still here, that you hear me. Like, I feel like I'm speaking to a void. And I looked up and um, and this little stink bug was like crawling across the kitchen floor. And I was like, hmm. And it just felt like this little wink of like, I'm still here. Like, it's still. And even yesterday, I was not feeling great. And um, I was laying on the couch and I was exhausted. And all of a sudden, I hear this noise. Of like, And I looked up and lo and behold, there's like a little stink bug. Dude. And it just is now this reminder to me of like the comfort of the Lord has shown up in something as small as that. Mm-hmm. Of like, it almost became funny at times where I'm like having an emotional meltdown and then a stink bug shows up and it just like breaks through and I start laughing because I'm like, I get it. I get it. You're still here. Yeah. Um, and while I think that the Lord speaks through creation and that's why I have a comfort saying like, yeah, God spoke to me in a stink bug. Um, <laughs> I think sometimes just saying to the Lord, like, I just need a reminder Um, You would be surprised at the things he uses at times to remind you you're not alone. It could just be someone saying, hey, I'm thinking of you. It could be um, that he just gives you a sense of peace for a moment um, after a lot of not peace. Um, Who knows what it'll be, but it's like hold on with everything that you can to those like little moments, knowing that this will not be forever and the Lord will continue to 
um, bring comfort in the midst of it. Um, and he doesn't necessarily deliver us, deliver us from those circumstances, but I think he gives us metaphorically like a little stink bug reminder of like, still here. Like I'm still here. I still see you. Um, and sometimes that's all you need to get through. You don't need all your problems solved. You just need to know you're not alone. Yeah, that's so true. That's so good. Um, there's so many little ways the Lord speaks. And I think, you know, I'm always saying part of that is just being quiet. I never, I always say that God is, he doesn't really yell (laughs) and I, at least not for me, it's always in those quiet moments where you, you know, stop and give him a chance to say something. Um, even if you're mad, even if you're sad, like you said, and I, I love that analogy of marriage. I hadn't quite thought of it that way. I mean, obviously I knew that, you know, that marriage is a symbolism of God in the church, but you know, I hadn't thought of it like, yeah, like you can be upset with God and be mad at God and still love him so much, just like you would your spouse. And, and I would say also, and not that I'm the one to be giving advice on this, but I was just thinking, you know, to just accept the way that you feel and just present it, you know, just let it be there. Like, it's okay to feel the feelings like in the Psalms. Um, And so, you know, not resisting or feeling like guilty or bad because you, you know, are feeling a certain way. I think that can be a temptation for Christians that, you know, maybe are 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 tempted toward legalism or or just have grown up thinking like, oh, well, why should be joyful at all times or, or something like that. So um now, you know, as Christians, grief and death is different for us, you know, than like the rest of the world. Um how do you, how do you see the narratives differing there um, in terms of, you know, the world grieving the loss of someone and then as Christians, how we grieve the loss of someone? Wow. Um, There are a couple of things that come to mind, but the first one is this idea that in the world, they just stop existing, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're sad. We have a funeral. Maybe we visit their grave from time to time to remember who they were. Um, And something I've really been challenged by in the last few years since losing Jill is having an active understanding that Jill still exists, right? Mm -hmm. Like if our souls are really eternal, though she's not in the exact same form, right? Her bodily form has wasted away. um, But our inward self is being renewed, like um, 2 Corinthians tells us. And so it's this idea of her still being there. And so, for example, um, I was talking to my friend Beth the other day who wrote the foreword of the book, Beth Bernard, who also wrote that album. This is, I'm just here to promote Beth. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to listen. It's so fun. But we, she was on an episode of Cheer Her On, my podcast, um, last week, and we were talking about her dad who died of cancer. And I said, can you just tell me a little bit about him? And so she said, you know, I'm trying to speak in present tense because he still exists, which Mm -hmm. was so good that we're like on the same page there. So she just told me about her dad, how quirky he was, how fun he was. And I said something like without really thinking about it, but it's just been ingrained in me in the last few years where I said to her, I said, wow, like he sounds really amazing. And I was like, I'm I'm really looking forward to meeting him one day. And she said to me, she's like, you're going to love him. And it was just this like sweet moment of like, we're not making that up. Like we live as though we grieve, but not as those without hope. And so Mm -hmm. I get to say, wow, like I get to hear about your dad. And then I get to meet him because we're both with the Lord. And it's this idea of, you know, Jill is with Jesus and Jesus is with me. So in some crazy way, like we're both with the same person in Jesus (laughs) and therefore we're both still connected in that way. And so I think about that sometimes as a way of saying, oh, do I miss my friend? Absolutely. Is she dead? Yes. Um, but 
Like, is she still very much so alive in this other mysterious way? Like, of course. And that's where the hope comes in, because I had something happen last week where I was just missing Jill. And even doing these interviews is so good, but hard because I miss her. Um, And it's not like I'm pretending she's not gone. Uh, But I think that it's it's the idea of, no, she's gone on. And I don't get to see her. I don't get to talk to her. I don't get to feel her close to me. But um, I think that's where the hope comes in of like, well, she's with Beth's dad. And, uh, you know, she was an interior designer and he uh, once built a house for his family. So I don't know, maybe they're shooting the breeze about that. (laughs) I don't know how eternity works, but we know that we'll be with the Lord. And that is that is a gift to us, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, um, I've always like, even as a kid, like I've always had this like fear of forever. Like, I don't know. I can't even mm-hmm. talk about it right now because I'll start freaking out. But yeah. but as I've had kids, you know, you have to explain things to them, right? And explaining things to my kids has really made heaven seem much more real to me in a way that mm-hmm. it never did before because I don't want to scare them, you know? And my daughter just the other day, she's four. She just had like her first like it really hit her that like, we're not always going to be here. Like she had never really gotten that. And she like got it. And she was so upset. Like, I don't want to go to heaven. Like, are you going to be there? You know, it's just this whole thing. And then here I was going, no, 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 Abby. Like heaven is like the best place you can be. And I'm going to be there and daddy's going to be there. And, you know, we don't really, like, I heard myself just saying like, we don't really die. Like, I was like, we do, like we die here, our bodies go, but like, we really don't, we really live forever. And it's, it's a better life. And, you know, this is all elementary stuff, you know, that you would say about heaven, but teaching them about it has forced me to think about death, um, Mm. in a way that I've always kind of run from it. Cause it's just, you know, death, it's, it's a little scary, right? But oh, it's totally scary. I mean, (laughs) right now I live eight miles from Salem, Massachusetts, And it's what we call around here Halloween season, right? Spooky season where, you know, all the tourists come to Salem because of Salem and whatever. Um, And it's very dark and concerning in a lot of ways. But there is this other just uh, awareness, I guess you could say, because right now everyone is decorating and it's very spooky. I like death and skeletons and all that. Like, it's pretty creepy. Yeah, it is. It makes sense that as children, as adults, that we're scared of that. And it's like, yeah, death is terrible. Um, but we also get to focus on what comes after death. Right. Uh, that it's not death forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's the beginning of my book opens with a quote from Jenny Allen, who I know has been on this podcast, which is fun. Mm-hmm. She used to be um my boss when I worked at If Gathering and is a wonderful human being. You guys go buy all her books. Yes. Love, love anything. That's my favorite one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. And so Jenny... Like I have a quote from her from If Gathering last year that opens the book that says, we might die, but we don't die forever. Mm-hmm. And that's how I truly feel is, yeah, but it's it's not forever. And I think kids, you're so right that they bring us back to having to face those things. Um, but like I, I think of um, when my dad and my sister were walking one night from a friend's house down the street. When my sister was really little, it was before I was born. And this is a story he's told over the years and and they're walking and she's she's kind of quiet he's carrying her she's probably about four and um and she says to him hey dad and he goes yeah and she goes can you kill monsters <laughs> <laughs> because she's afraid of the dark right yeah and so of course he says oh yeah i could kill a monster it's fine um but that is that is what you have to be for your kids right you got to mm-hmm. be a monster killer like you have to tell them 
we're in a scary situation and I'm not going to like he's, he wasn't like, oh, no, monsters aren't real. Let me tell you, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like, he just needed to comfort her. And that's what he did. And I think that's what we get to do for kids as well is is to protect them and comfort them um, because these big, scary things exist. Uh, but we have this greater hope. Yeah. And I just the last comment I was going to make on that is just as I'm saying that stuff, I'm going well, do you believe what you're saying? Because if you do, then you don't have anything to be scared of. And um, yeah, there's just something about like the kids that have have just, well, it's just changed my whole relationship with God and just how I see things. So um, anyway, not to go down that uh, tangent, but um, so what are your hopes for the book? Like, who are you hoping picks it up? What do you Mm. want them to take from it? Well, I think a lot of us have just lost a lot in the last few years. Even if you didn't lose a loved one, you lost your sense of normalcy. You lost your rhythms of belonging or community since everything has changed. Even if you're in a region of the United States where COVID may or may not have really affected you, like it has changed the whole cultural zeitgeist of how we relate to people, of how we view people. Um, and, and I think that that's really important because we live in such a just like all our brokenness is like in our faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my hope is that this book reminds us like, here's this thing we can anchor on when everything feels like crazy town. Um, and I feel often like I'm a little bit, I, I felt at the time that I was alone in crazy town because I was going through all this grief and it was like before the pandemic even started. But now I'm able to see like the kindness of the Lord to have walked me through so that I can say to others who are in their own reckoning, like, okay, like, yes, like I've been there and you will come out on the other side, like with the faithfulness of God. And and I think we live in an age of, you know, people pulling apart their faith and sort of deculturalizing it in some ways, um, deculturing their relationship of what is cultural Christianity and then what mm-hmm. is, you know, what needs to stay? I like that deculturing. I haven't heard that one yet, but yes. I like it. Yes. My friends, um, Chris Gordon and Hope Blanton over at At His Feet Bible Studies said that to me recently. And I was like, that's exactly it because I'm not, it. I'm not ripping apart my faith in a deconstruction way, but I am kind of pulling apart the culture that has told me you need to show up and have your stuff together or the things that are kind of go with Christian culture that don't necessarily always align with scripture. So mm-hmm. as I've kind of been through that and and walked through it, I feel like for so long I was, like you said, afraid of it. And now I'm able to say like, no, like this is the reality of where we're at. And we can still be scared. We can still be afraid. We can still be um, overwhelmed at times, but like, this is the thing that stays. And so I feel like if there was a catchphrase for this book, uh, that would be it. It's just Jesus stays. And I think sometimes that is the news that we need um, when it feels like everything is sort of falling apart. And I mean, plus the little women angle is fun, right? So for anyone who loves little women, who is interested in that storyline and getting some backstory, there's a lot of history in the book about how that story came to be and what Lou, as I like to affectionately refer to Louisa May Alcott as. Yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah. As, as Lou kind of walks through that grief and just saying like, this is a human experience. So I, I would say this book is for anyone who has lost anything. It could be your friend. It could be your spouse. It could be your wallet. Um, We've all lost something and it's good to know what sticks. Yeah. That's so good. You know, I feel like there's been, and maybe this is just in my (laughs) you know, circle, there's been a lot of books on grief, like uh, different, you know, coming at it from different angles, um, just because of of the past couple of years with COVID and, and Mm -hmm. so many things changing. And, um, you know, I know that you're, I know you're friends with Clarissa, because I heard you mention 
that on Jamie and I love mm-hmm. Clarissa. I, I'm also friends with her. And so she I had her book that. come out. And then there was one, uh, another person I had on the podcast, um, Amanda um, held Opelt, if you know her. I don't know if you know her. Um, yes. But yeah, so those are two. And then I think there's even another one. So there's just, there's no shortage of resources right now for people that are really looking to connect with people that get it, that are coming at it from different perspectives. Um, I really personally love your angle of using little women because number one, that's just so unique. Um, and it's, I think really when you're, it's like, when you first think about it, you're like, that doesn't seem like it fits. But I think when you use something like that, like you're really able to sort of explain what you mean and, and, and come at it in a really unique way that, um, kind of clarifies what you're saying in, in like in a way, no, nothing else could. And mm. so I love that. I haven't read the whole thing yet. I ha- I am reading your book. Um, I'm in the middle of it. So, oh gosh, I'm sorry. Cause that's like the saddest part is the middle. Oh god. <laughs> Well, um, it's really good. You're a, an amazing writer. I have to oh, say thanks. you are an amazing writer. So um, 100%, no wonder you got that second book deal. <laughs> um, oh, that's sweet. So uh, as we end, tell us about your podcast and you know what you're doing, where we can find you, all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a podcast called Cheer Her On. I'm actually wearing my Cheer Her On sweatshirt. Oh, nice. This is the merch. only one in existence. I know. <laughs> oh. I was like, maybe I should do merch. A friend made it for me when I launched it like two years That's ago. That's awesome. Um, so Cheer Her On, our tagline is uh, look her in the eye, tell her the truth, cheer her on. And so it's about not just blindly cheering on other women, but cheering them toward the truth. Um, I like to say I'm a truth cheerleader because uh, I want it to be encouraging, not just like, here's what's true and to the place where it's heavy handed only um so yeah so that podcast right now we're in the middle middle of a book club so if you pre-order the book you automatically get the full ebook so that you can read along and so um we've done this is the, our second week of it and each week we have a new episode on mondays where we're going through chapter by chapter we have a lot of fun guests um we have felicia masonheimer and amanda williams and um shannon martin is next week which is fun grace cho is this week beth bernardo's week one so it's just a lot of fun gals and we talk about like what's going on um as we process through grief but also it's a space where we have people recommend other people for us to follow and literally cheer others on and who cheered you on and so that's been kind of fun um and then i have a patreon where i write uh, a newsletter twice a month called trending theology um we talk about popular culture and how jesus um can be found even in like silly things so the last newsletter was on uh, Stranger Things, the TV show, and pulling that apart and pointing toward the gospel. And um, the most recent one that went out yesterday is uh, was about the queen and how when we pay attention to monarchy, it reminds us of the good King Jesus. So yeah, it's uh, I, I love those spaces. And then you can always find me on Instagram doing some sort of weird story, uh, usually something kind of goofy, but yeah. also some heartfelt stuff in there as well. That reminds me, we were talking about Jenny Allen. She had, I don't know if you saw her post on the queen. That was like an amazing, she had some amazing words to say about the queen. And I was like, wow, I totally missed that. But she just got it so good. So anyone that's listening, go back and look at Jenny's post on that because it really is a lesson in like how we can live our lives. So absolutely. Um, Melissa, stay with me um, after we sign off. But thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited for people to, to get your book, to read it and to, to learn from it. Thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you so much for having me. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.